Welcome to another Climate Tech Podcast, interviews with the people trying to save us from ourselves. In this episode, I spoke with Jennifer O'Brien, founder and CEO of the seaweed farming startup See and Believe. I recently saw the news that they'd launched their first seaweed farm in County Galway in Ireland, and I wanted to hear all about that and also to ask her for a little primer on all the things that seaweed can do. I reached Jennifer in San Francisco. I'm Ryan Grant-Little. Thanks for being here. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. All the way from San Francisco, your second home, aside (laughs) from the west coast of Ireland, which is an interesting commute. But so you're the founder and CEO of See and Believe, which is an amazing name. That's sea like the ocean. What problem does the company solve? Great question. We're we're growing seaweed, cultivating seaweed off the west of Ireland. And when I think about the problems we're solving in terms of agriculture products that are out there, seaweed doesn't require arable land, fresh water, fertilizer to grow. So it makes it a really sustainable crop that necessarily doesn't contribute to a carbon footprint associated with, I guess, traditional land-based agriculture. Um, again, in addition, seaweed farms can combat ocean acidification, can provide marine habitat for, for different marine life. It can help reduce microplastics in the ocean. It can sequester carbon, carbon dioxide, all sorts of things. So I feel like that's a really large question because our technology, I guess, can solve a lot of problems in addition to creating a new food source as well. So it's like the fungi of the ocean, basically. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. Really cool. Can you just sort of, I mean, give us a one-on-one or give us a 101 on seaweed in general? I know that there are thousands of species of it, but what would, if I were at a cocktail party or probably you've done this a lot of times, kind of like just at conferences and stuff, and someone's like, well, what's so great about seaweed? You mentioned some of the applications, which are all pretty amazing. But what are some of the like, what are some of the interesting things about seaweed? Yes. Well, algae are really the base of the marine food chain. Without algae, I guess there will be no fish. There'll be no other sea mammals. Plants evolve from algae. So without, without, I guess we wouldn't have evolved into land animals without it. And, and they played a part in oxygenating the earth through cyanobacteria so that's one of the things that I find really interesting about algae. And obviously the different algaes are, are different in that regard between the reds, greens, the browns. They all have their unique characteristics. So I think looking at the genomes of particularly red seaweed, I find it really interesting that they've they've lost some of their genes and they've gained some of their genes over time and they're thriving now in the deep waters. And that, I guess, results in them having capacity to do amazing things in terms of some of the compounds that they produce or the red algaes in particular are high in protein and they're full packed with amino acids and vitamins. And at the same time, the secondary metabolites offer antiviral, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory properties that can be used in various different applications. And all of that, taking all of that into consideration, they're also drawing down carbon from a growth in an aquaculture setting and bringing restoring ecosystems as well. So it just, just I feel like there's nothing algae can't do. And looking back on the evolution of them, it kind of tells the story really about where they came from and, and how great they are now and what they're contributing to and the potential that we can use them in different applications as well. Probably awesome habitat also and like hiding spots for sea life. Exactly. Yes. They're perfect shelter place, particularly the, the kelp forest, I guess. Um, they provide a, a nursery for marine life. 
and other animals. And of course, it also provides a feeding stock because fish actually get their flavors and uh, I guess all of their, their nutrients are really taken from, a lot of it's taken from algae and that's where they get their flavor. So when we're eating fish and we think the fish is the flavor, it's actually the algae that they're eating, I guess, that's producing the flavor. So I think that's really interesting as well. And it's interesting that it's so rare to find in Western, at least diets, like the only time that I ever see it or it is at like a sushi restaurant and having like seaweed salad or my avocado roll in a <laughs> seaweed right. wrapper or something like that. Why haven't we, if it, you know, it does all this great stuff and it's accessible to us in the West, why is this not taken off as a major source of food? That's a really good question. I asked, I asked that people in, we, we did launch some products in Ireland and people were kind of amazed. They were like, seaweed, God, you can eat that. Mm. I think it comes back to, I guess, education. Everybody knows in Asia, seaweed is eating breakfast morning for, for two, all meals of the day. So it's kind of a shock, but it's not a shock to people, but people don't know how to use it. They don't know how to incorporate it into different applications. They know you can eat it, but they're just kind of, haven't got the recipes yet, I guess, to incorporate it into different things. So it is becoming more trendy, I guess. So I think in time with more education and more information on it, we'll start to adapt it more into the Western diet. And we're hopefully some of the products that we're developing will help with that transition as well for more people to adopt it because the benefits are just incredible. And so you have launched your inaugural farm in Cleggan Bay in County Galloway on the wild west coast of Ireland. What makes that the perfect location for a seaweed farm? Galway, Connemara area is just fantastic in terms of the ecosystem that's there. There's 2,000 hectares of scenic mountains, the bogs. There's grassland and there's limestone coming from the mountains in the area. So all of this combined, I guess, is fertilizing the waters there. And it's also probably more sheltered there than the rest of Ireland as well. So it, it just makes it just such an amazing ecosystem. I go there all the time, regularly swimming in the ocean there. And like you can see the bottom, it's just absolutely incredible wow. that, you know, clearly the seaweed is soaking up any pollution that comes in there. And I guess it, it has quite a swell as well. So a lot of nutrients are, are just circling all the time. And it's right at the edge of the Atlantic next up the USA. So it's just it's such a magical part of Ireland. I think that contributes to the flavor and the texture and the quality of, I guess, growing the seaweed there as well. You mentioned the differences between green and red seaweeds. And you've chosen a red seaweed, Palmaria palmata, which is commonly known as dulse. Is that that is right. That okay. is correct. Yeah. <laughs> Commonly known as dulse to people where talking about seaweed is a common thing. And yeah, but uh, why this one? Why did you choose this one? Is the red seaweed the most nutrient packed compared to the green seaweed? They all have different characteristics, but there's a couple of reasons why we did choose the red seaweed. And just to start, they just, just have such an amazing story in terms of they have a really small genome. And they lost a lot of genes and they gained a lot of genes over the years. And uh, they lost their flagellum as well. They gained genes that they needed from their neighbors, from bacteria to embryosis. So there's a lot of really interesting things that I became fascinated with red seaweeds about. And that made them, I guess, thrive in deeper waters and the wavelengths. And they were able to photosynthesize and live at greater depths than other species. So I became kind of fascinated more on the reds and particularly in looking at different applications that we could potentially bring into the application, make new products with. So 
What that means, I guess, is that they have microsporic amino acids. They have for they're known for their UV absorbing properties. So potentially they could be used as a natural sunscreen um, mm. and other ingredients, the secondary metabolites, again, different compounds are anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, antioxidants. So we're, we're doing a lot of, we're gathering a lot of data on the potential of that right now. We're working with some universities on that to get some more data in order to move it into applications to develop more products. It's also one of the only seaweeds that's high in protein as well. The reds are, are very high in protein versus uh, the green, the calves one, but they all have other great stuff as well. Not to, I hate to dish them because we might work with them in time, but uh, yeah. They, can, um, they can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, they can't hear me. Yes, they can. They can hear me. <laughs> so they're really high in protein. And I, I guess during one thing that interests me about the red seaweeds as well is that during the famine, people, because we didn't have potatoes, were turning to eat dusk as well. So because of its nutrients, it's packed with amino acids and vitamins and omega trees as well. That So anything that I essentially can't, you know, it, it's probably the best thing to eat if, if you're on a plant-based diet as well, because it has all those nutrients. So it's just a really, really exciting properties for me and the, the fascination, I guess, with the evolution of it and how it came together particularly the properties that could be applied in for, for food and for, for potentially cosmetic products as well. They're two areas that we're looking at right now. Interesting. So cosmetics, you mentioned sunscreen, things like that. Who are you imagining as your customers? I don't know if you have customers just yet, but who's you know calling you, reaching out and interested in this stuff to integrate it? And what are some of the interesting kind of applications? You mentioned sunscreen, but what are some others as well? You know, it's really interesting because you kind of expect that the, the 20 to 30 year olds might be the people that are interested, you know, if you consider it a new trend in Europe. But I find something different from doing some trade shows and sampling some products. We were selling our seaweed burger and different things like that. We got a lot of interest from people in Ireland that have heart health or issues that need to reduce cholesterol and they, they had heard about seaweed so they wanted to incorporate it in their diet as well so we kind of saw interest from across the spectrum of all different types of people and now we're we're seeing interest as well from a cosmetic application point of view in terms of anti-aging and we think that's going to be mm. a huge market as well i mean every every woman wants to and man i guess wants to look younger in some way or reduce the fine lines and wrinkles and i think we've found applications that can do that as well and a lot of people are very conscious about reefs and corals and as well. So they're looking for alternatives to more natural sunscreens and various things. So that's an application that we're looking at. Potentially, we're trying to gather as much data and working with universities to understand that to see if we can potentially make products in that area as well. In in food, I think one of the areas you've mentioned is plant-based seafood. And, and yes. as an investor in that space, I'm definitely very interested in, in that. And also as a consumer, as you know, I'm vegan, but I love seafood. And so I'm very curious to kind of hear a bit more about how that can boost the flavor and nutrients in these products. And I mean, in the end, it kind of, the fish seems kind of unnecessary here in the first place. If you're saying the, a lot of the flavor comes from seaweed right. in the first place <laughs> exactly yeah yeah well that's exactly it and you know i guess you know fish does have amazing flavors and that does come from algae for sure i mean i guess it, some of it probably comes from the fish's ecosystem too but we can replicate that i guess for me i mean i i love fish i love seafood i don't want to eat it anymore given i want to let the wild fish populations i guess thrive again so i am eating more plant-based foods right now and 
incorporating seaweed into my diet as, as much as we can. So we uh, we developed a, a number of, of plant-based seafood products that I guess are, are less processed and that, that have the seaweed in it that, that tastes so as healthy as we can. We, we felt that that was a good option for, you know, a lot of the times with the supplement market, it can be difficult for it to take off. And there's plenty, loads of supplements on the market. We're like, well, I guess if we develop some trendy products and introduce seaweed into the market that way, people will adopt it more and they'll start maybe incorporating their diet themselves then in broths and stews and, and different things like that. So we're developed a range between burgers and goujons and fish products to test the market to see if the consumers are interested in it. And we're coming at it at a different approach as well from traditional, I guess, other companies like Beyond and Possible, different things that we're we're more focusing on the seaweed side of things and incorporating the a kind of a healthy product, incorporating all the vitamins and minerals as well as making it taste great. And we've got loads of ideas about future products as well, like seaweed snacks and all different things. So we're really excited about what we can produce in the future as well. One of my first plant-based burgers ever was, I think, maybe 2012 in Amsterdam with the original What's it called? The original the Dutch, Dutch weed, weed burger. burger. Yes. Yeah. Not to yeah. be confused with the other <laughs> weed that, um, yes. that people. <laughs> but, but um, you know, just when they're starting out and they're, I remember at a, like a, they just had kind of, I don't know, a, a stand at a festival or something like that. And I think that's kind of blown up and it was delicious, you know, but uh, it hasn't taken off the way I kind of thought it might um, in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of work to do still on educating, I guess, consumer. Mm. And the market is still quite small. The plant-based market is still a smaller category that needs mm. to adopt a little bit more. And it will over time. I guess there's still a lot of alternatives out there and fish and meat is still at a reasonable price. So it's, I think it's just going to take a little bit more time for that for that market to expand and to move. But it's definitely promising. I think the, the interest and the demand are there, but it will take more time. Yeah, it was really, really good. I can imagine that, like me, before I checked out some of your articles and saw some of your pictures on the website and stuff like that, people who are listening right now are wondering, what does a seaweed farm actually look like? I mean, can you maybe describe it for us a little bit and talk a bit about what kind of the planting and harvest looks like? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, you don't see much from the, if you're on a boat, I guess you're kind of just seeing the buoys. So it doesn't look too exciting from a boat perspective. But (laughs) yeah, I guess the divers will get to see the real work that's going on. So essentially, we've been working with a great guy, John Fitzgerald from Impact 9. So he's developed amazing infrastructure on site whereby it's a floatable device that can be easily suspended to control the buoyancy in storms. It's made from flexible and durable material. And it's easy for us, I guess, to suspend the nets and drop the ropes into the water. Much easier than traditional ways of, of seaweed farms that you would typically see in Asia, I guess, where they would have huge infrastructure and different things. So we're working and testing this on a pilot level right now to see how this infrastructure works. And it makes it a lot easier to deploy that into the ocean rather than building out a really expensive big platform with anchors. So we're really excited that that infrastructure is actually going into the water very soon. And we've been working with a great team of biologists, the Irish Seaweed Consultancy on they're cultivating the seaweed in the hatchery and typically they collect up, they've collected approximately 6,000 samples. They grow as the cultivated seaweed palmaria in the hatchery for about 12 weeks. Hmm. And then when it's at a suitable 
size, it's deployed into the ocean. And it's deployed typically based on the reproductive cycle. It has to be deployed in, in, I guess, November, December, the latest January, and then it's harvested around April, May time. So you have to follow the, the reproductive cycle. And there is an opportunity also to do some tank culture, and we're certainly going to explore that and look at that as well. It's another way that we can potentially scale up. And I guess the more testing we do and the more infrastructure and all of the different pilots that we do, we're learning all the time about the best way and, and it will help us to scale up as we incorporate more seaweed farms across the coast of Ireland and hopefully across the world as well in time. So are you affixing seedlings to these nets and then helping them kind of propagate? And what does the harvest look like? Will you Do, do you have divers or machinery? I'm really curious about what that actually that's, looks like that that's exactly it yeah mm-hmm. for sure the seedlings and the the gametophytes are attached to the nets and then they're deployed into the ocean and they're hung essentially from john's technology then the the buoyancy the control so they're, they're hung from that device on as you can just imagine kind of fishing nets they look like that essentially and then the harvest will happen there they look like at the moment we deployed our the farm a couple of weeks ago so there's not much growth yet so it's going to take a couple of months for them to reach their full full length and we'll typically then harvest in may time so we'll require boats and divers and and various things and you have to do that very quickly it's kind of before I guess the the crop spoils or it grows too big and it, it kind of brings down the infrastructure. So there's kind of a, you need to kind of keep an eye on it, and mm. make sure and assess it all the time, ensure that it's growing at the right and pull up the nets and look and see what's happening. So there is a bit of work involved and it's making sure and and of course of course knowing when the right time to harvest as well. That's really important. So you should come when we're doing the harvest. We'd love to have you. We can take you out and you can help. We'll we'll get you working on that. Sounds on awesome. That I'd love well. to do that. I, I, <laughs> My last trip to Ireland was cancelled by the first lockdown and and I was supposed to be in Galway on the coast and I had to cancel it. It was booked for March 20th, 2020 or something like that. So it was was tough times, but uh, I'm I'm overdue. You mentioned that also (laughs) this is an inaugural kind of proof of concept or pilot farm. I'm curious to hear a little bit about the funding and what it will look like to, you know, what your plans are to roll this out at, at scale and kind of what are some of the the hurdles? Or what does success look like? And what are the hurdles in doing this from a you know from a startup perspective? I work with a lot of companies who plan to open up shop in or expand across Europe. My one big piece of advice: don't fall into the trap of setting up a new entity right away. Instead, talk to my friends at Paracar, who can help you get up and running without all the costs not to mention the legal and HR hassle. When I was hiring in different EU countries, I wanted my team to focus on their work, not on the country's bureaucracy. After interviewing a half dozen international expansion firms, I chose Paracar because they were by far the most knowledgeable and they're great people. Whether you're a large multinational looking to expand abroad, a small business looking for the right talent, or a contractor, they'll sort it out. Book a free, no-obligation consultation right now at paracar.eu slash climate. That's P-A-R-A-K-A-R dot E-U slash climate. Yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, there's a huge opportunity right now in the West for the seaweed industry to take off. I think more people are becoming aware of seaweed and we can discuss some of the applications from food, feed, 
cosmetics, gelling, emulsification, all sorts of products can be, as well as feeding to cows to reduce methane. So there's just it's just an incredible, valuable resource. But it takes, I guess, a whole ecosystem to come together to make that happen. As I said, we've had to build collaborations with different people, with the right biologists, the right engineers to be able to make this happen. So that involves having really great VCs, I guess, venture capital funds and having the right partners, the right advisors to to build that ecosystem and build out the industry. And it's going to take some time. It's going to be, I guess, it's probably a 10-year game realistically, but someone has to start somewhere, I guess. And, you know, there is some other seaweed farms in Ireland as well. And we're talking to them, we're working with them. And I guess we're sharing expertise is probably the way to do that rather than seeing them as competitors. I think that's the way we're going to get the industry going. In terms of support as well, incredible support from BIM, the Fishery Board and Enterprise Ireland, and which are the government VCs. So a lot of parties at play here to drive this along. And one of the parties that we've been working with very closely is Hatch VC, which are building a community, an agriculture community around the world. And um, they've been just so incredible in terms of support and advice and connecting us with different people who have done this in other countries. And uh, have the experience to do that and help build that. So we plan to work with them going forward as well as our existing investors, SOSV and other parties. And of course, we're always raising money. We're, we're always going to need to raise money because this is such a new space and to scale it, it it's going to require uh, some capital to do that. So so certainly we'll be continuing to raise and build out that ecosystem as time goes on. Are you actively raising now? We're always raising, for sure. Okay. <laughs> so, like, anybody that's listening, please get in touch. Glenn Gary, sure. Glenn Ross, always be closing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, we're, we're always raising. And uh, we're really excited. You know, we do see the opportunity for scale in Ireland. Um, you know, there there will be, I guess, difficulties in that. You know, we're already seeing this, you know, storms as well and building infrastructure that can mm. be more resilient, I guess. The great thing about algae is, is as a crop, it's just incredibly resilient. But in terms of getting it in the right ecosystems and Ireland is the right ecosystem, but we do suffer from storms, right? So that's, Mm. we have to, I guess, mitigate that in some way. So it's going to take a little trial and error, but already we're, we'll, we have stuff growing. So we're excited about that. You talked about some of the positive effects that seaweed has on the local marine ecosystem. I'm wondering a little bit about the local human ecosystem and if the do the locals there think that you're nuts? Are they embracing this? Have you had uh, lots of kind of interactions and questions? <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think Ireland, the people in Ireland, are, they, they're great entrepreneurs. They're interested. They're always looking for the next big thing and we're storytellers. So I think it's they're loving it, I guess, and they're really interested. So I'm seeing a lot of interest. People have been really, really helpful as well in, in terms right. of, oh, that's, you know, so I'm, I'm seeing a, a different side to what I expected to encounter. So uh, people are very open to to helping. I guess I didn't I didn't come from this industry, so people may be a little bit surprised, but I think at this stage of long enough in it now, I feel like I'm part of it at this point. But overall, the West of Ireland has been a champion for CB for quite some time, but they just need, I guess, the right team and the right collaborations for it to really take off. And what about you, Jennifer? So your professional background is actually in finance. What does the path from finance through to launching a seaweed startup look like? I guess it's really helpful on the fundraising side. And I'm just wondering, kind of, did how did you get into this space? Yeah, I guess I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I've 
always felt that this was where I always wanted to start a business and that I wanted to get gain experience in the corporate world and finance world to learn as much as I can in that second while I figured out the, I guess, right industry for me to go into, what was exciting me, what was interesting me. And years ago, we had a holiday home for many years down in, in Sligo, Enniscrone, the west of Ireland. And I, I suffered from very bad health when I was growing up with chronic respiratory issues, compromised mm. immune system. And I started taking CB baths on in Sligo and Enniscrone, just amazing place there. And I just experienced extraordinary kind of relief from my symptoms and had a great time during the summer when I was there and became kind of really interested in seaweed going, why are my feelings so great? What are the properties? And what I didn't know then was it's an antiviral, it's an anti-inflammatory. It, it, I was soaking up the nutrients, I guess, into my body. And I was just experienced this incredible relief. And a lot of people suffer from asthma in Ireland. It's, it's I think we're one of the highest countries in Europe for, mm. for asthma. So I thought that was really yeah, from so since then I've been, I guess, buying seaweed products and incorporating into my diet, and I just my health completely turned around the last few years. It's just been, it's just been wow. amazing. So from that, I I decided to do an MBA in Trinity in Dublin as a way to kind of transition into this into a new industry. I didn't know how to directly go into it, so I thought it was maybe good to do a business master's and figure out the next steps. And that was a two-year program. It was intense. It was really great. And as part of that program, we did an entrepreneurial model where I was able to build out what the business would look like um, from that perspective. And it kind of gave me the confidence to start the business then. And we were able to pitch to a kind of a dragon's den, shark temp type situation during the time in university. And they they loved the idea and the feedback coming was just incredible. Thankfully, we won some grant funding then that kind of enabled me to not work in the corporate world anymore and just move into this space full time. But it's certainly a risk. And I think at the beginning, it had incredible imposter syndrome. It was like, nobody's going to want to listen to me. I have no background in agriculture or seaweed and but yeah that was wrong actually people and Hatch were one of the first people to get in contact with me and they're like we love it you don't necessarily have to have the background in agriculture mm-hmm. because you come at things from a different skill set you've built up skills in other areas of your life you have the passion you can learn certain things and I've just had such a great time learning the science and I think that's really what I kind of regretted a bit it was like I wish I had maybe studied science but oh, I guess maybe that would have brought me into a different direction over the years. So now I'm getting a chance to go back to that and learn it, about it. It might have brought you into the same direction. It might have brought it you into the same yeah. place. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess working in finance, you get to you learn. I worked a lot in credit and uh, business lending and different things over the years. So I learned a lot, I guess, about money and, fi- and raising money and working with lawyers and working with different industries. So that was really helpful as well. Yeah, such I mean, such an important skill set for this type of work, especially if yeah. you're, you know, the just understanding kind of the dynamics of finance and, and accounts payable and accounts receivable and, you know, different rounds and all these kinds of things are massively important and sometimes lacking with kind of the more science driven founders I've noticed. Exactly. Yeah. And thankfully, I think with, you know, I work from incubator space here in, in SOSV, one of our investors. And what we're able to do is collaborate on that, you know, where I mightn't have the science capacity. I've talked to people that do and I can help them in, in some areas of finance. So it's a great opportunity in these, in these incubator centers to share information and to learn from each other as well. Yeah. So you're lucky to have them on board and they're a wonderful group. Does that mean you were a part of the IndieBot? 
IndieBio? Yes, that's correct. We're thankfully selected for the IndieBio Accelerator Program, which has Uh just been instrumental in driving the business forward and building awareness. And what IndieBio do is they bring you through a four to six months, four to six months accelerator program that kind of immerses you in the ecosystem of the investor world and makes the introductions to investors and helps we work on your pitch deck and helps you build a story for your business. And it also forces you to, I guess, develop a prototype by the end of your, your time with them. So it's, it was just a really, really great program. And we have a really great relationship with them now, I guess. So we're still working from their offices sometimes as yeah. well, and learning and talking and having those, building those relationships is crucial as well. It's really great. Yeah. I've heard great things about the program. My mind was saying Indiegogo and Indiebio at the same time. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Jennifer, where's the best place for people to find you online? I'm everywhere. I'm on com website, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of that. So uh, Jennifer, Brian, anybody can find me and contact me. I'd love to have a chat and talk more. Amazing. People want to talk seaweed. I'll put those also in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was great talking to you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another Climate Tech Podcast. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Get in touch anytime with tips and guest recommendations at hello at climatetechpod.com. Find me, Ryan Grant Little, on LinkedIn. I'll be back with another episode next week. Bye for now. This episode is supported by Grizzle, B2B content to create and capture demand. I first met Grizzle's founder, Tom Watley, five years ago at a conference in Dublin. I was so impressed that I signed a deal with him to do all my software company's content that same evening at the pub. Remember that, Tom? Um, kinda. And they're still doing it two years after we sold the company because the new owners love Grizzle as much as I do. If you sell B2B, book 30 minutes in Tom's calendar at grizzle.io slash climate. That's G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E dot I-O slash climate.